The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Psalm 16. Psalm 16. We're going to look at verse 11. And you recall from yesterday, this is where we ended with this verse. And I just want to use this verse to kind of catapult us in uh, to what I have for you today uh, from the scriptures. So Psalm 16, verse 11, that will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And I want you to notice with me those three words that are in this verse, in thy presence. In thy presence. David, who wrote this psalm, was of course referring to God's presence, being in his presence. Um, You know, I've been in the presence of some great people in my life, and it was a joy to do that, to get to know them, to just be around them, but there's nothing that compares with being in God's presence. And you know, in, in college, you're, you're busy and you've got a lot to do and relationships and just a whole new lifestyle, especially for the freshmen coming in. It is, it is so easy to let something slip. And what we often let slip is really the most important thing that we shouldn't let slip. And that's being in God's presence. And I want us to think about that today. You know, David said in Psalm 140, in verse 13, the upright shall dwell in thy presence. So being in the presence of God, I believe, refers to our worship life. I want us to think about that today. Just a few verses real quickly. If you look with me in the Psalms, Psalm 29 and verse 2, we understand the importance of worship. Psalm 29, verse 2, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 95, and look with me at verse 6. Psalm 95, verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 99 and verse 5. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Do you understand today that God not just uh, desires our worship, he delights in it. He delights when we take time out of our life, all the busyness, all that we're doing, and we pull aside just to be in his presence, to spend time with him. He not only desires it, he not only delights in it, he certainly deserves it. There's no question about that. If anyone deserves our time, it's God in his presence. In fact, Jesus said this, the Father seeketh such to worship him. So can you imagine God the Father wanting us, looking for us, looking for his children, his people, to carve out some time to be with him? You know, according to uh, Charles Ryrie, whom I like to uh, study after, he said the English word worship 
was originally spelled worth-ship. You probably knew that, worth-ship, which simply means that we acknowledge the worth of the object being worshiped. And so there's no doubt about it, make no mistake about it, God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of that. This morning, I'm not focusing on what I would call corporate worship. You know, when a congregation gathers together, even what we're doing today or what was done Wednesday night or what will be done on the Lord's Day, that, that, that pulling aside and gathering together as a, as a church and, and worshiping, that's a special time and that's a wonderful time, but that's not really what I'm thinking about. I want us to think today about worshiping God as an individual, a daily and personal encounter with God every day. Now, some people refer to that as devotions, and that's a good word. Many people use that for that time in his presence. Others would refer to it as maybe a quiet time. I uh, heard one person say it's a, it's, it's a God and I time. I, I don't really know what we need to call it. I don't think that's the point. The point is doing it. But for me, I call it personal worship. So we have our collective worship. We have our congregational worship. When we, as a church, gather, and that's what a church does, we come out from the world and we gather, and we sing praise to the Lord, and we spend time in his word, and we fellowship with believers, and we serve. Uh, that's a wonderful experience. But in order to make that experience wonderful, in order to make that experience what it should be, there must be personal worship. In, in fact, I served as a pastor for many years, and sometimes people would say, well, I didn't get anything out of the service. And you hear that complaint from time to time. And pastors tell me they hear that complaint. And generally, that is being offered by people who know nothing about personal worship. They're not spending time in God's presence on a daily basis. And they come to the church house on Sunday expecting and hoping. And, and uh, because they kind of live the way they live all week long, apart from God, detached from God, not time in his word, not time in prayer. And then they come and want to be filled up in about 45 minutes or an hour. Doesn't work that way. Personal worship. Just you and God alone every day. G. Campbell Morgan said this, the supreme thing is worship. The supreme thing is worship. Now, whether you're consumed with worship or not, I don't know, but I know this, God is consumed with it. God is consumed with our worship. And that is because, for many reasons, but it is because the most important thing about our relationship with God is that which no one ever sees but God. It's God and us all alone. Wherever we may be, a dorm room, home in your bedroom, wherever it may be, you carve that time, it's just you and God all alone. As important as they may be, it is not primarily the public duties as a believer. They're important, no doubt. Preaching, singing, teaching, ushering. I mean, the list could go on. We all have those public duties. But it's our daily encounter with God, that personal time, when we just get alone with him, God and us, all alone. Personal worship. And when your personal worship is in order, here's what I've discovered. Everything else fits. 
When it's not in order, it don't fit. But when our personal worship is in order, we don't, have a, we don't have a struggle with giving. We don't have a struggle with serving. We don't have a struggle with attending the house of God. We don't have a struggle with public worship. Uh, everything works. By the way, you don't have a struggle with your college work when your personal worship is in order. Everything fits. It works. But conversely, when our personal worship is not in order, nothing seems to fit. There's frustration. It's like buttoning up a shirt. If you don't get the first button in the first buttonhole, all further activity is counterproductive. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit. So because worship is the supreme thing, here's the question. What does it involve? When you, when you get alone with God every day, what, what do you do? How does that work? And I suspect we all have different ways to worship the Lord on a private uh, basis, personal basis. Well, let me share with you uh, from the scripture what, what I think at least four elements of that worship experience should be. So I invite you to take your Bible to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. It's a beautiful portion of scripture. Isaiah chapter 6, the commission of Isaiah, a beautiful portrait, really, of what personal worship should entail. And so I challenge you today, I challenge you to, if these four ingredients, if you will, are not part of your daily worship experience, get them into your worship experience. And we see them right here in this passage. So Isaiah chapter six, verse one, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. And one cried uh, unto the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto, unto me having a live coal in his hand which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Personal worship. Number one, I believe personal worship involves a correct view of God. A correct view of God. Isaiah, in this passage, had an extraordinary opportunity to have this vision of God Almighty. And when we think about that, uh, in contrast to today, I, I don't have to tell you how confused the world is with their understanding of and their view of God, if they believe in God at all. But when you, when you think about that, it's not just the world that's confused. I find that many Christians are confused and have a, a, a polluted view of God. So God is not our cash register when we have a need, although he wants to meet our needs, but that's not, that's not how we look at him. We don't look at God as if he's our personal assistant, our life coach, none of those things. He's not our best buddy. God is holy. God is sovereign. God is omnipotent. God is to be exalted. God is to be worshiped. All through scripture, we see that truth on display. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. A correct view of God. 
When we think about that, worshiping God personally every day, just, just starting off by saying, God, I just want you to know that I know how holy you are, how wonderful you are, what you've done in my life, how you meet with me, how you encourage me, how you blessed me. And you just, just focus on him, just see him as he is, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, exalted. Here's the problem, we cannot allow our image of God to be diminished, but it is, oftentimes. We've been created in his image. Let's not dare try to make God in our image. A.W. Tozer said, the world is perishing for the lack of the knowledge of God and the church is famishing for want of his presence. If we need anything today, anything at all, it's God. Seeing him in the scriptures as the Bible portrays him, that's what we need, a personal time with God. And can I say this, one final thought on this thought, your view of God will determine at least three things in your life. Number one, it will determine the Christian life you live, how you live life, the way you see God. Number two, the kind of church you attend. And number three, one day, the children you rear. Those three. So ask God every day for a refreshed and renewed vision of his majesty and his power in your life and his blessing and his holiness. How do you see all that? Through his word. Through his word, we open this book and God will show himself strong in our lives if we're faithful to open his word. A correct view of God. Number two, I believe our personal worship not only involves a correct view of God, but it involves praise toward God. We come down to verse three. One of the seraphims cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know, this one cried out three times. There's something significant about that. He, he, you know, we, we, we understand the attributes of God, but, but in this passage, we don't find him saying loving, loving, loving. God loves us, we know, but that's not what's said. Uh, we don't hear faithful, 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 or powerful, powerful, powerful. It's holy and holy and holy. And can I suggest to you that if we miss God's holiness, we miss out. And that distorts our view of God if we don't see him as holy. He is the one who created us, the one who redeemed us, and the one who sanctifies us. The Bible tells us many times in scripture, but in Leviticus 11, verse 44, be holy, for I am holy, the holiness of God. And so we, we because of who he is, we praise him. Now think about that. How, how do you do that? And I've had, I've had Christians ask me, how do, you, how do you praise the Lord? Well, I think there's at least three avenues we can walk down any given day uh, that we meet with God on a personal basis. We do certainly do these things collectively often when we gather as a church family. Number one, we think about his names, the names of God. You know, my name is Charles Thomas Shoemaker. That's all it takes to describe me, those three words. But when you study the Bible, there are hundreds of names and titles 
for God. And each of those titles and each of those names tell us something about him. Something that we can just stand in awe of, that we can value, that we can appreciate, that we can learn from, and that we can endeavor to be like that God, the names of God. And so in my personal time, I just try to think of a, uh, focus on one or two names of God and just, just thank the Lord and praise him for what that name represents. But then secondly, not just the names of God, I, I think about the perfections of God. In other words, his attributes. Oh my goodness, not just holy, 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 but all of those attributes. And so maybe each day you select an attribute of God and in your private time with him, you just focus on that attribute. You focus on his wisdom. You, 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 you think about his power, his omnipotence, all of those various attributes of God. And just, just one a day. And just exalt God with that and thank God for that and how that attribute has made a difference in your life and what it means to you in your relationship with him because of that attribute, the attribute of God. And then I think about the works of God. My mind is astounded every time I journey through scripture, as we all do, and we see how God worked in so many marvelous ways in the lives of people, how he showed himself strong, how he was there, how he met needs, how he healed people. I think about those three Hebrews in the furnace or Daniel in the lion's den, familiar stories to us, but don't ever lose the point behind those stories. They're illustrating not so much Daniel's faith and the faith of the Hebrew, Hebrews, although that's true. It's God's power. It's God's blessing. It's how God cares for us. And I'm reminded if God cared for Daniel, he'll care for me. And if he takes care of those three Hebrews, he'll take care of me. And, and I, in my time of personal worship, I say, Lord, you did this for Daniel. You did this for Moses. You did this for this one or this one or this one or this one. God, you're no respecter of persons. Help me. And you just think about those attributes. One a day. The works of God, one a day. The names of God, one a day. Oh my goodness, that draws you closer for who he is and for what he has done. Personal worship involves praise towards God. But then thirdly, personal worship involves confession before God. Confession before God. So we come down to verse five, then said I, woe is me. By the way, when we see God as we ought, we'll see ourselves as we are. So he had this incredible vision and view of God. And boy, when he started to think about the holiness of God and all that's involved in that, he said, what was, what was me? What was me? I think, I think by and large, we're too full of ourselves. We're living in that world where humility is, is just seems to be a forgotten uh, way of life. We need that. And if we keep our eyes on him, we'll be that. And so he says, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And he came to that realization because the Bible tells us in verse eight, for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. See, if we keep, if we keep fixated on him, will not be fixated on self, for sure. Spurgeon said, and I like how he said it, it's a little unusual, God will never do anything with us till he has first of all 
undone us. He was undone. Confession is the gateway to cleansing. And so when we think about this declaration, woe is me. Now remember, he was a, he was a prophet. He was a preacher. He, he, part of his job was to renounce evil, to, to point out the error of the way of the people and the kings in those days. So when you go back just to chapter five for a moment, and you look back in chapter five, we come to verse eight. He says, woe unto them. Verse 11, woe unto them. Verse 18, woe unto them. Verse 20, woe unto them. Verse 21, woe unto them. Verse 22, woe unto them. But when we come to chapter six and he sees God, it's woe is me. And it's easy to look at someone else's life, a roommate, someone here, and just, you know, not have a favorable view of them. But boy, when we see God, then we understand where we are. We get it. Woe is me. Woe is me. In, in chapter five, he pronounces at least a half a dozen curses on Judah. But when he comes face to face with, with the living God, he doesn't worry about them. He worries about himself. Woe is me. And so you come to that personal worship and it's a time for you to just look at your life and figure out where you messed up. Where, where you overstepped the line or when, where you failed, to, you fell short of, of that expectation that's provided in scripture. And before you start your day, you say, Lord, my goodness, I'm sorry. I am so sorry I violated your word. I'm so sorry, God, I broke your heart. I'm so sorry, God, that I committed this sin or I failed to do what I should have done. I'm telling you, confession is refreshing. So many people hang on to it and hang on to it and hang on to it and hang on to it. And that sin just builds and that guilt just builds and that frustration just builds. And then they begin to distance themselves from other people. Listen, that's not God's plan. First John 1, 9 is in the scriptures. If we confess, aren't you thankful that he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? In your personal worship, Confession is part of it. Think about this. What is it about your life today with which God is displeased? Today. What's going on in your life? What's going on in your mind? What's going on in your attitude? Your actions? What is it about your life today with which God is displeased? Start there. Confession. So personal worship, a correct view of God. Personal worship is praise toward God. Personal worship is confession before God. But fourthly, personal worship involves surrender to God. We come down to verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Plural, Trinity. Us. Now think about that. God, as I spoke yesterday, has a mission for us. We're to fulfill his purpose. Not what we want to do, what he wants us to do. And we know, as we discovered yesterday from scripture, that means we bear fruit. And the power we have to do that is we follow the example of Jesus. But think about, what is it? What is it that God wants you to do? 
What is God urging you to do? And by the way, it, it may not be today. It may be something way in the future. And you're preparing now to do that. I recall sitting in chapel as a student in a Christian college and, and just thinking, God, you know, where, where are you going to take me? Where, where, where's it all going to go? And I gave the illustration yesterday of just bowing down as a 16-year-old and saying, all right, Lord, I want to live for something bigger than myself, having no idea what that meant. But knowing that God was in charge, that God was in control, and he would not lead me somewhere or call me to do something that was out of his will. Surrender. You know, we as believers attend the church house and often sing, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. And I've learned this, it's easier, I'll put it this way, it's more difficult to live it than it is to sing it. It's easy to sing those kinds of songs and not even really think about what we're singing. But think about it. All, not most, not some, all to Jesus, I surrender. Wow. A worshiping believer is a surrendered believer. A worshiping believer is a revived believer. Because when we're in the presence of the Lord and we have a correct view of him and we have offered praise up to him and we have confessed our sins before him and we have yielded ourselves in surrender to him. Oh my goodness. We're where God wants us to be. We're doing what God wants us to do. Surrendered to witness, to serve, whatever it may be. Surrendered maybe just to not have your way all the time. Surrender to do your best. Surrendered to not give up. Stay with it. College is tough. It's hard. There's challenges. And so many throw in the towel. Maybe it's just a surrender to say, God, I'm in this thing because you've called me here. And I'm going to stay at it. And stay at it. And stay at it. You know, only one life will soon be passed, but only, only one life will soon be passed, but what's done for Christ, let me, forgot that little statement, excuse me, only one life will soon be passed and only once done for Christ will last. We can do a lot of things, but what really matters and what really counts is what we do for Jesus. I don't want to stand before him one day, as John wrote in 1 John 2 and 28, and be ashamed before him at his coming. I hope you don't as well. So let me ask you, how's your personal worship? Not your collective worship, not your congregational worship, not your corporate worship. How's your personal worship? Are you meeting with God every day in that secret place? That's spoken of in Psalm 91. See what gets you up in the morning and carries you through the day. I hope so. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, 
empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.